Hey, this is Eric Jones, and you're listening to Victory Lane. Drivers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people. It's the place that everybody wants to be. You know by now it's Victory Lane. We had a lot of action this past weekend in Thunder Valley. The last great Coliseum. The world's fastest half mile. It's Bristol, baby. If you don't know by now, that's kind of how I opened my, uh, what was it, Friday? Yeah, Friday video, post-race video on Twitter. Got a lot of good love, so figured I'd bring it back for the one time. Kyle Busch got the victory after some interesting strategy played by the number 22 team of Joey Logano to pit with 15 laps to go. K&M Pro Series East was also in action, and we will preview Richmond coming up this upcoming weekend. Hit on lug nuts of the week and the most important part of the show. You will hear my interview with Eric Jones, driver of the number 20 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. Had a lot of fun with that Jones boy at Bristol this past weekend. We got into Michigan State, uh, his contract extensions with JGR, his dog Oscar, the whole nine. So it was a it was a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy that as much as I did, and I hope Eric enjoyed it too. Uh, with the news coming this past week that Daryl Waltrip is going to be stepping away from the broadcast booth after Sonoma, we only have a limited time to have him rev up the show. So while we have him in our grasp, we will let him do what he does best. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. Food City 500 at Bristol Motor Speedway. Kyle Busch wins the damn thing. It's just he does it all the time. It's insane. After wrecking on lap two, if you didn't watch the race, he got some rear damage uh, on a lap two crash. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. piled into the back of him as people were kind of spinning out in front of him. But he was not panicking. Neither was Adam Stevens. Neither was Joe Gibbs. The 18 team just slowly, methodically worked their way back through up the field once they got the damage fixed. And it's really amazing what this dude is doing. I think we might be witnessing a driver that is on the Mount Rushmore of cup drivers. And I know that might be a little bit of a hot take. I saw somebody kind of debating this week whether or not Kyle Busch or Jimmy Johnson is the best NASCAR driver in the cup series of this era. It might have been on Jeff Gluck's podcast. And... um I thought that was very telling, and it was a very thought-provoking question to me because I, I will die on the hill that Jimmy Johnson is the best stock car driver that has ever walked the face of the earth, and that's probably a little bit of recency bias because, and frankly, I never saw Richard Petty race. I never saw Dale Earnhardt race. Well, I saw him when I was three years old and could barely walk and formulate a sentence, but that doesn't count, you know what I mean? I've seen Jimmy Johnson win seven championships, all with one crew chief, all with one sponsor, all with one team. I've seen NASCAR, the sanctioning body itself, change the playoff format countless times to try to combat Jimmy Johnson and what the 48 team do year in and year out, and that's win championships. I've seen them try to do a bunch of different things with the cars that are on the racetrack, from the car of tomorrow to now the Gen 6 car, um, moving into the Gen 7 car and all, all that stuff. What he does and what he has done in the past has been unprecedented in modern motorsports. I think that's fair to say because he single-handedly is transforming and has transformed the way that this Cup Series operates. 
But that's an aside. Let's hear from Kyle Busch. It just seems so easy, so normal for him to be doing what he is doing at this stage of his career. It's almost like impressively annoying because like he gets into victory lane and he's, I mean, he's obviously excited and happy, but he's just like, oh yeah, another week, another win, cool, whatever. Um, <laughs> this is funny though. So he was holding off his brother Kurt Busch towards the end of the race. Uh, the number one car of Kurt, he was actually going to wreck him. We'll hear from Kyle, or Kurt, I should say, in a second about that. But here was Kyle's thoughts in the media center after the win when asked if he thought that Kurt was actually going to wreck him. He told me in victory lane, and I told him, I was like, you can't tell people that you're going to wreck them before you do it because when roles are reversed, that person's going to wreck you because you've already told them that you were going to wreck them. <laughs> so um, so I guess if I'm ever running second to Kurt, I'm going to wreck him. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just... Um, I don't know. I'm glad it didn't turn out that way and he couldn't get to me because I certainly wouldn't want to been in that situation. So I'm just glad that I could finally hit my marks halfway decent and uh, and drive away a a few more inches there towards the end of the race. And I think he was trying really, really hard. And I seen him get kind of crossed up in my mirror a couple times off of two. And I think he got in the fence once or twice. So uh, that just gave me that little extra gap that I needed to be able to bring it home. Crew chief Adam Stevens stayed cool, stayed calm, stayed collected. Throughout the entirety of the event, 500 laps, and at the end of the day, got another W. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> we've uh, been pretty, uh, what's the word here, uh, close all year. Um, I, this was probably about the worst car I gave them to go race with this year. Um, this new tire combination and aero package just threw off our old setup, and, and we didn't make a lot of headway in practice, and we weren't as good as we hoped to be, but, uh, you know, we've got some good tracks coming up, and uh, hopefully we can get back on our horse and uh, give him something he can race with a little closer next week. Team owner Joe Gibbs, he loves to talk. And since we're nice here on Victory Lane, we'll let him talk. Well, I just admire Adam and the team and Kyle because, as everybody knows, we had to overcome a lot today. And uh, I think uh, Adam can kind of talk about the car at the end, but I, I that early spin... You kind of look at that and say, oh, my gosh, you know, our day's going to end early. But um, I I think with Adam and Kyle, they have a way of fighting through adversity, doing a great job. Adam made a lot of – and he told Kyle right off the bat, hey, the car's not really hurt, you know. Um, And I'm not – I think it probably took something away from the car, but uh, they just did a great job fighting all day. I think, obviously, the, the caution at the end there really helped us. And I think, you know, we were a short-run type car at the end. Uh, It just shows you how hard Bristol is. We had so many things happen to our cars today. Uh, We had loose wheels with Martin. We had loose wheels uh, with Eric. Denny just, you know, got, uh, obviously, we speeding on pit road. A lot can happen at this racetrack. It's very hard to win here. And so it's a thrill for us. For Coy, uh, we had our whole family here. We had, uh, well, I say our whole family. We had Jackson and Miller, two grandsons here. And uh, Coy, obviously, for our family, uh, everybody's excited. And obviously, for Mars, it's a huge deal for Skittles. It's a huge deal for Norm at Interstate. And obviously, for uh, Toyota, it's a big deal for us. I teased it earlier. Kurt Busch finishes second. Uh, unbelievable turnaround for that number one team of Chip Ganassi Racing. I think he had the soundbite of the weekend after finishing second. Take a listen. We caught up with him on pit road afterwards. It was close. You know, I, I wanted to be closer to my little brother to wreck him on the last lap because I, I flat out would have. He's already got wins this year, and he would have figured it out. I just slipped up, 
So with about three laps to go, I couldn't quite hang getting into turn one. And uh, for our Monster Chevy, it's a really good run. We've got a lot of puzzle pieces. We're putting them together. Uh, this was my favorite track, and so we almost won, but we know we're still wanting some more. Better than what you uh, anticipated going into coming out of Friday. Yeah, qualifying has been a disaster, and I can't lean on my right rear tire. We got to fix that. When we do that, we'll restart better too. Now this momentum is taking into a stretch next week in Richmond. You like it there? Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, just got to thank all my guys on the hard work and the filtering through the information. You know, it's our first time going to all these tracks together. And you know, another top five is a solid result. Uh, there's got to be that point where we're just clicking on all eight cylinders and nailing it. So I had a moment with Kyle over there. He kind of banged the hood. What did you say to him? I told him how frustrated I was. I was going to wreck him. Uh, he says, oh, really? I said, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people may have seen that last question that I asked him there. I think TV may have gotten it, but it was a really cool moment. Kyle was pulling into the garage area to go to Victory Lane. And Kurt was about to go into the media bullpen, but he saw his brother pulling in, ran over, stopped him, slapped his hands on the hood, and said something inside the window. And I was curious what he said. So uh, Kurt confirmed that, and then Kyle was talking about it as well. Uh, so that was a really cool moment. And like I said, the the unbelievable turnaround for Kurt and the one team of Chip Ganassi. No disrespect to Jamie McMurray. I mean, the dude has won a handful of huge races in his cup career. But, I mean, Wow. I mean, this guy, this guy's struggling to finish top 10, and Kurt Busch is knocking off top fives left and right here this season. And nothing's really changed. I mean, it doesn't really appear so from the outside. Maybe it's Elijah Burke who was on with us last weekend, one of my one of my homies. Maybe it was just him coming into the fold at CGR. Maybe that changed everything. Who knows? Clint Boyer rebounded to finish in seventh place. He hit the wall late after some contact with Joey Logano, and he went off on the radio, which... Was unsurprising to many. A solid day, though, for Clint Boyer. He actually got that track position to finish inside the top 10 by staying out with 15 laps to go. And we'll hear from Joey after this about that pit road decision as well as his contact with Clint Boyer. But here is Clint. Yeah, I mean, it was. He was racing me pretty hard. I could get under him. My strong suit was a bottom. I get under him, and he was diming it. Just didn't leave me much room there. I mean, it's time to race. There's no question about it. Uh, we just barely touched. Man, must have just cut the valve stem out of it or something. Just hit it just right. Um, or this fender caught or something. Not typical luck for here, you know. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. We put ourselves in position. Our Stuart Haas Ford was good. Haas uh, Mason car. Damn, I want to get that thing in victory lane. It's such a good-looking car. I think it's racy-looking. I appreciate Gene and uh, the opportunity just... How many positives can you take out of this race? Oh, I mean, you, you always take positives out of a good strong run like that, but you can't think about that right now. You got one side of the story. Now let's hear the other side of the story. Joey Logano's side of things after coming home in third place on Sunday. That is a typical Bristol battle right there. Uh, it's a fight all the way to the end. Dang, I thought we had the fastest car, uh, and we improved that a while. I made a, lot, a few passes for the for the lead um and i thought we did it right at the end there i thought when we got by the two i said there's this you know if i can just hold them off that's the pass for the win and and i was pretty confident we we're going to be able to do that for 15 laps or so and uh then kasha came out and what do you do right you, you, do you pit do you stay out you know a few of them are going to stay out just really hard to pass and uh, by the time i got the third those cars were so far ahead of me i stuck and was not going to get to them so uh it stinks when you have the fastest car and you don't win but it's a team sport it takes every piece to to make it work and um, uh, we had the car part figured out today. We just uh, missed it on some other ends. So 
just got to uh, you know keep fighting hard and and um, you know get a stage win that was nice and led a lot of laps. Just you want to win at Bristol so bad. It's just it's Bristol's a cool track and you know you, you, you see a, the start finish line, you think you're gonna get it, and then uh, things happen quick here. Plus, I asked Joey about the damned if you do, damned if you don't situation of coming to pit as the leader with 15 to go or staying out on old tires and then you'll just get blown by the guys with fresher tires. He said basically, yeah, I think it's one of those situations, but it's just too tough to know what the other people behind you in that situation are going to do. Jimmy Johnson qualified and finished in the top 10 this past weekend, which is a good weekend for the number 48. I mean, I talked earlier in this episode about how he's the GOAT, but lately he's been anything but. I mean, they have struggled. They are all aboard the struggle bus. But he is in the mix, as he says now. The Hendrick Motorsports Organization is making strides. They are making gains. And there's still a lot more to improve upon to contend for wins week in and week out. But a top 10 is a good stepping stone, and it shows some good progress in the grand scheme of things. A, a respectable day. Um, got a speeding penalty and, and really never was able to kind of get back in the top five after that. So I don't know if track position was the biggest part of that or if we just didn't uh, didn't have the pace that we needed to. But you know, it was all performance, qualified in the top ten, ran in the top ten, finished in the top ten. You guys running pretty good this week, obviously. What do you think of your of the organization as a whole? Seems to be missing a lot better. Yeah, we're, we're going in the right direction. Um, and we still have some more to go, but, but we're in the race now, which is which is nice. Those first couple of races, um, you know, it was pretty pretty sad out there. So to be in the mix and to uh, be able to mix it up and run competitively is a good start, but we got a ways to go. Danny Hamlin comes home with the top five and fifth place. A pretty quiet, uneventful day other than, of course, Denny Hamlin gets a speeding penalty. Who's surprised by that? But like he says here, when you make bad days into top fives, it's really not a bad day at all. You know, physical-wise, I didn't feel like it was any different from uh, any race, any other race that we've had. Uh, but certainly, we just battled back there. We, we didn't have a race-winning car. My crew chief was trying to pull some strategy to, to give us an opportunity to race for the win, and I just I screwed up. And so, uh, tough for that to happen, but we still finished a lot better than what we were uh, going to. So, um, certainly a, a good day overall. you got to make your bad days top fives, and that's what we're doing right now. Ryan Blaney came home in fourth place. Paul Menard, get hard for Menard, sixth place. Daniel Suarez in eighth. Ryan Newman, ninth. Pretty, pretty solid run for him. Uh, Very interesting top ten. And some other nuggets to clean up with this race. Kevin Harvick, he had himself a day. So he failed inspection pre-race, not once, not twice, three separate times. He's starting in the rear already for the race because of that. And the third time, he has to do a pass-through penalty at the initial start of the race. So he's a lap down at that point, gets a caution at the first two laps, so that's a pretty good break for him. But then he has a loose wheel, he has a tire issue, so he has to pit again. He's two laps down. He winds up being three or maybe even four laps down at one point. Got the lucky dog finally, free pass position towards the end of the race. But then he didn't because he brought out the caution and Clint Boyer passed him at the time that the caution lights were illuminated. Finally gets back on the lead lap at the end of the race, finishes on the lead lap in 13th place. It's definitely not been the start to the season that the number four team of Stuart Haas Racing has envisioned and one that they're used to because they're not used to finishing top 10. They're used to contending and winning races this early in the year, but you got to work out the kinks at some point, and I think that it will come sooner 
rather than later for Kevin Harvick and company. Chase Elliott finished 11th place after he led a handful of laps early, spun out, uh, barely kept the nine off the wall from the pole position. Matt DiBenedetto was running inside the top 10. I don't really know what happened towards the end of the race, but he ended up finishing in 12th place. Ty Dillon, yeah, that Ty Dillon, he finished in 15th, but he won stage one. Really cool story for that number 13 Jermaine Racing team. He beat Clint Boyer to the start-finish line for that playoff point by inches, and I mean inches. Martin Truex Jr., P17. Brad Keselowski, P18. He had an interesting um, encounter, I guess I could say, on the radio with NASCAR because he was confused why he was being penalized when he thought that he was doing nothing wrong on the lineup. So he was three wide with a couple people, and NASCAR kept telling him, put the two on the outside of so-and-so, and he thought they were wrong and wasn't really listening. So they penalized him for an improper start, and uh, he was not pleased with that. But then afterwards, he said he talked to them, and he ended up uh, getting some clearance and some clarity on that issue. Also, he liked one of my tweets this week, so that was cool. Um, where am I now in my rundown? Oh, yeah, Eric Jones, 24th place. He had a loose wheel issue. I was very disappointed with his run because he was actually my pick to win. And it would also have been really cool because he was sponsored by Craftsman this weekend. And Craftsman had a promotion that if Eric Jones won the race— They were already uh, donating $300,000 to the Children's Hospital. But if he won the race, they would donate a million dollars. That would have been insane. But he finished 24th after a wheel issue, was never never really able to recover. Kyle Larson in 20th place, same type of thing. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 33rd after crashing early on in the race. Eric Amarola did the same thing, was out on lap one, was not really pleased with William Byron. He unfortunately finished in dead last. This is a very, very good Bristol race, though, people. Uh, the crowd was pretty bad, which has been well-documented all week long. If you're into NASCAR and you've read stuff, you've listened to stuff, you've watched stuff, I mean, the crowd was terrible. There, there's no really way, other way to sugarcoat it than saying that. But I'm here to tell you that the racing was great. Like, it really was. I think the night race in the summer will be better crowd-wise. Myatt Snyder, uh, one of the Clout 9 homies, he tweeted a picture. He was like, look, I see why everybody's talking about the attendance, but look at this picture from the 2018 Bristol night race. And it wasn't, you know, full, but it was pretty packed. Okay. I mean, and it's one thing because Bristol closed the turns, uh, seating areas this weekend. I, I heard it was because they wanted to kind of just save money and not be able to pay all the security guards, employees. So they were they weren't understaffed, but they were staffed just right because if they were to hire those people, they would have to have their production cost go up a lot. But look, I mean, like I said, there's no way to sugarcoat it. The crowd was bad. The crowd was very, very bad, but the racing was very, very good. And there's been a lot of talk of, well, what's the issue specifically with Bristol? Is it the racing? Is it the hotel costs? Is it is it uh, the decisions that NASCAR Brass is making? I think it's a mix of everything. But when, and as everybody has beaten this topic to death, when hotels in Kingsport, in the Bristol area, I stayed at Kingsport uh, for three nights. I I fortunately was able to get that right through NASCAR for my home tracks work. When rates are $300, $350, $400 a night, you can't sustain that. Like, that's insane. And Clint Boyer had the tweet. He basically called around to some hotels and was checking what the deal was. And it's like $350 tonight. It's $108 for a walk-in, and on a non-race weekend, it's like 60 bucks. And I mean, I get why people are saying the hotels shouldn't be doing this. This is crime. This is robbery. Yeah, I mean, that's right. 
but you got to look at it from their perspective too. Like they want to make money. So they're doing what they got to do. But then also from the other perspective, they're making money on this. Yes, because they know they have that built in audience and that income of the NASCAR brass people that are going to be coming in and filtering out all of those rooms for two specific weekends out of each year, each calendar year. But if you want to get the economy in the local Bristol, Tennessee area uh, on the up and up, and you want to have all of your rooms sold instead of only 70 or 80% capacity, lower the rates so people will actually show up and rent your rooms. But that's an aside. Look, all, all I'm here to say is the crowd was bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Like, it, it is what it is. But the racing was great. I really enjoyed the racing. People were up top. People were down low. People were in the middle. For all 500 laps, there were a ton of storylines to follow from Chase Elliott with his power steering to Kyle Busch coming back with his damage, racing his brother for the win, Kevin Harvick trying to get his laps back, Clint Boyer losing his mind on the radio, Penske Power being back once again. I I really enjoyed the racing at Bristol on Sunday. And on Saturday, we had the Zombie Auto 150 at the same track. The K&M Pro Series East Round 2 of the 2019 season and... (laughs) Sam Mayer, man, it's Sam Mayer's world, and we are all just living in it. He was fastest in the first practice. He was fastest in the second practice. He set the new track record in qualifying, running a sub-15-second lap for a 15-year-old kid, and he led all 150 laps en route to his first career K&N win, the first for GMS Racing, I believe. It was just an absolute butt-whooping in every sense of the word all around. And he said that all weekend long, the race, the racing groove would be up top. And I talked to him about this off mic um, before, but it wound up being completely different during the race. It was all not a freight train along the bottom, but pretty much every single race car driver was on the bottom for the K&N race, which we didn't expect because there was practice sessions before there was an Xfinity race before. So we thought that the VHT PJ one, whatever you want to call it on the bottom groove of the racetrack was going to be kicked up and there wasn't going to be a lot of that left. But whatever Bristol Motor Speedway did with that specific track adhesive, I guess I'll say, they did it very well because that stuck all weekend long. Sam Mayer talked about that right here. Uh, the race definitely played out completely different than I thought it was going to play out. I I thought it was going to be pretty solid on the top, but the top uh, wasn't there at all. It was all around the bottom. Um, uh, it was really good on the bottom, but like once you got out of the groove to pass those lap cars, uh, you really had to feather the throttle and just be easy into the corner because otherwise it would really get loose. I was also kind of curious as to if he honestly expected to be this quick all weekend long coming into the race. Coming into this race, did you expect to be as fast as you were? I know your expectations probably changed after the couple practice sessions yesterday, but before the weekend, did you expect to have this much speed? Uh, I definitely came out here wanting to win really bad. Uh, I feel like we had a really good car, uh, and a car capable capable of winning, uh, but I didn't expect it to be like this at all. I I mean, we went out there and I the car just came to me right away and it it never changed throughout the run, so it was really good. Uh, but to answer your question, I really I really wasn't expecting this, but I mean, obviously it turned out really good. <laughs> Chase Cabry came home in second place, and people were kind of joking. I mean, he won the race for second place, right? Um, Sam Mayer was just in a different stratosphere. And I caught up with Chase Cabry in victory lane after he came over and congratulated Sam and the number 21 team. It was, it was funny because people are saying, Oh, Chase Cabry's the real winner <laughs> because 
everybody's joking about how, oh, Sam Mayer's car is illegal. It's an Xfinity car. Mark, Mark, if you're listening, Mark, I, I feel you on that. But part of that's kind of true. It, it's mostly just hilarious and joking. But at the same time, Chase Cabry had a very, very fast rev racing race car, just not fast enough to outlast GMS. Chase Cabry comes home in second place, tying his career best finish in the k Pro Series East. Did you have anything for the 21 there at the end? No, I didn't. I wish I did. I really do. I, I felt like, I was just telling him, I felt like we had a little bit of the same pace there at the beginning of the race, and then as the race went on, he just you know got better and better, and I got a little bit worse and worse. And um, you know, The sunset kind of hurt me a little bit. I think we need to do a better job just tuning on the race car throughout the race. Um, I felt like if we were able to come down in, in the second stage rather than the first stage, we would have been able to say, okay, we, let's make this adjustment, and it would have been all right. But uh, just the game you play, and you know, come home second ain't bad at all. Yeah, he was pretty much the class of the field the entire weekend. But, I mean, this is a lot of great run. Confidence for you moving forward. I know you want to get that win, get that monkey off your back. You think it's coming sometime soon? Yeah, I, I really do. I think with Doug Howell on, on top of the box and, and Clint Parker as my car chief, got a really good crew this year. So uh, we'll just keep plugging along at it. I think South Boston's been my strongest track throughout the Canaan series uh, so far. So, I'm really looking forward to getting there, and hopefully we can come out on top of the box there. Brandon McReynolds came home in third place for Visconti Motorsports. A lot of talk about him running a possible full-time season with these great runs for the 74 car coming time after time after time. Brandon McReynolds comes home second in the third, excuse me, in the Zombie Auto 150 at Bristol. You guys are a small team. You're not running the full year, but you keep coming to the racetrack and getting solid, solid results. Talk about your day here at Bristol. Yeah, no, it was a good day uh, with our circle, Northwell Health, uh, Riker Group, Chevrolet. Just uh, come up a little short. Like, we'd fire off really loose, and uh, clean air was king. So congrats to Sam and their team. GMS, they built some really nice stuff, and it's uh, good that Chevrolet got a win, so that's cool. Um, but uh, really proud of our team and our effort. Uh, Timmy Peterwood did a great job spotting, and Bruce Cook did a good job making adjustments all day long. So it wasn't looking good after qualifying, but we pushed through, and, and that's what you got to do. You think your experience here at Bristol and being one of the K&N East veterans helped you today in a podium finish? Yeah, I, I think so. Probably more so on restarts. I noticed a lot of guys were struggling to get going, so that helped us a lot. But um, I don't know, man. I, we need to we need to get our monkey off our back at these concrete yeah. tracks. I feel like I've almost won like ten of these things. We just need to get that first one. So we'll keep pushing and try to get our stuff, our concrete stuff, better for Dover later in the year. Drew Dollar and Spencer Davis rounded out the top five finishers of the Zombie Auto. 150 on Saturday afternoon. You had Derek Krause, Colin Garrett, Mason Diaz, Rafael Lassard in ninth place in his K&N debut, and Tanner Gray. They rounded out the top 10. We'll tie up some loose ends right here with this race. Haley Deegan finished in 16th place after a multitude, and I mean multitude, of issues that went on with her. Um, let's start at the beginning. So she started in the rear of the field because she blew an engine with about 30 seconds left in final practice. Um, so she was forced to start in the rear. Worked her way up inside the top 10. Uh, her team kind of set out a goal for her beforehand to get to a specific spot in the running order at the end of the first stage uh, before the first break, and she did that. But then later on in the race, I don't remember if it was in the fir- at the first break or the second break, the team did not tighten the lug nuts uh, enough, so she had a loose wheel. And then I believe that the wheels were also on wrong. So I think the team put the left sides on the right side by accident. I mean, that's one of those freak things. Like, it happens, and all you got to do is really move forward at that point. But, I mean, obviously, Haley was not pleased. 
Neither was the team at themselves. Neither was team owner Bill McAnally. Um, so it's one of those things where the day just goes from bad to worse to terrible to nothing is ever going to go right. Please get me out of here as soon as possible. So Haley Deegan finishes in 16th place. She had a rocket ship, as always, though, with IK9 on the hood of that number 19 Toyota Camry. So lap one on the backstretch. Let's go to this. The number 54 of Drew Dollar, DGR Crosley car. He gets loose coming out of turn two, I believe, or maybe turn four. I believe it was turn four, yes, because they spun on the front stretch. So he got loose. Tanner Gray, his teammate, moved to try to avoid him. So did Riley Herbst, another DGR car. And when Riley did that, Ruben Garcia Jr. got collected in it. He took the brunt of the damage. His car was totaled. And Natalie Decker also piled into that whole mess as well. So you had, what is that, Tanner Gray, Drew Dollar, Herbst, and Decker. You had all four DGR cars involved in a wreck on lap one. And it was so quick, so unfortunate for all of them how it happened. I caught up with a couple of those drivers involved. Ruben Garcia Jr. did not know what happened, but he told me what he saw. Well, uh, I see a bunch of guys that don't know that this race is 150 laps. I mean, a bunch of them were already wrecking before we got to the back straightaway. And then the, the 15 was completely sideways in the start, uh, before the start-finish line. I was on the inside of the 17, and the 17 uh, was sideways as well, drove into me and sent me to the inside wall. Um, I really feel sorry because all my team brought a really good car. We were very confident about this race. I knew the 21 was really fast, but we really think we had something for them. But uh, and there's not much you can do when they wreck in lap one. Natalie Decker did the same thing, and there's a lot of people hating on her every now and then, and it's somewhat warranted because of her performance in the things that she's driving lately, whether it's an ARCA car, a truck in the Gander Outdoors Truck Series, or the K&M Pro Series. I mean, this this was her first start, though. And people are saying, oh, wow, she's piling into a wreck on lap one. She can't drive. But she says, no, 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 hold on. This was a mechanical failure. Take a listen. Yeah, um, I just saw Riley get a little loose and start started a little wreck. Someone got into him, I think. But he definitely was loose before that, it looked like. And I tried to slow down. My spotter said check up, but my brake pedal fell off. So I had no brakes. Yeah, it just broke off. So, um, yeah, <laughs> bad luck, but, um, you know, that's going to happen. You're going to have bad luck, and just looking forward to the next race. I'm coming back here in the truck. That's why we wanted to do this race, to make laps. But I got, I got, a, I got a lot of laps here for practice. I just wish I could have done the race. So there you have it. Natalie Decker's brakes literally just fell off. It's kind of crazy to believe that that can actually happen with these manufactured race cars that are just a piece of engineering marvel um and i also got to give a shout out to my girl hannah newhouse i didn't get a word with riley herbs because he kind of stormed off but if you're in the nascar world you know what hannah did by now and uh let's just say i'm team hannah always team hannah we'll have her on this show eventually all right party people it's eric jones time came out this week that he's working towards a contract extension with joe gibbs racing and this is interesting too joe gibbs said after kyle's winning the in the media center that, look, Eric Jones has a long-term future here. So does Christopher Bell. They both have a long-term future at Joe Gibbs Racing under my watch. So there's a lot of people that were saying going into the season, and we talked about it last week with Elijah, Denny Hamlin's on the hot seat. Denny Hamlin's on the hot seat. Now he wins at Daytona 500. He wins at Texas. He ain't going nowhere. So people are saying, Eric Jones is on the hot seat. Eric Jones is on the hot seat. No, no, no. Not so fast. He ain't going nowhere either. 
So I hope you enjoy my conversation with the driver of the number 20 car. We had a good time catching up outside of his hauler at Bristol Motor Speedway on Friday morning. I told him beforehand, I was like, hey, man, I know you're a Michigan fan, but I'm going to grill you with some Michigan State questions because you should be a Spartan, not a Wolverine. Take it away. Eric Jones, thanks so much for taking the time to be on Victory Lane. I'm going to grill you about Michigan State, but we will get there in due time. Um, so let's start off with your hometown. You're from Byron, Michigan. Tell me about what it was like growing up there. I know it's obviously a very, very small town, kind of one of those places where everybody knows everybody. And what what was it like growing up there and then the race scene surrounding it as well? Well, there wasn't um, a whole lot happening in Byron. You know, it was a town of around four or 500 people. And um, for me, I, I really enjoyed growing up there. I had some good friends going to school. And like you said, kind of knew everybody. It was a really small classroom during the, during the week. But uh enjoyed it i still love going back there and, and and spending time there when i can but the race scene around there wasn't um wasn't huge but it's probably bigger than most would imagine okay. you know there was um really three tracks within about 30 to 45 minutes from my house which is quite a few you know which more than you think that? uh wasso speedway uh birch run speedway which used to be dixie motor speedway and auto city speedway okay. which is in flint so um those three places were close, and also there was actually actually two uh, go-kart quarter midget tracks within about 45 minutes, too. So there was a lot of, a lot of options. Um, it's not right down the road, but it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot in a short area. Yeah, I mean, for us, that was, uh, you know, it wasn't far. It was 30 minutes to oh, go yeah, just to the grocery the... store for us. So <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, it felt like it was pretty close. Cool. Um, so I was telling your PR before this, and I just told you, I'm going to grill you about the Spartans. So I graduated from there in May. Okay. You're a Wolverines fan, though. Here, here's my thing. I did some research. East Lansing is 10 minutes closer to Byron than Ann Arbor is. <laughs> that sounds right, yeah. So why are you a Wolverines fan? Why didn't you come to East Lansing and be a Spartan? I don't know. I, I, you know, I grew up. Um, all my friends were, were uh, Wolverine fans. Bad friends. Yeah, my family, most of my family were Wolverine fans. And uh, I had a few alums in my family from, from Michigan, none from Michigan State. Ah. So I guess that's probably kind of okay. what swayed my, my there liking. There it is. And you did some college tour stuff last year, too, like kind of going around to different colleges, speaking to them. Um, was Michigan or Michigan State, was that ever on the radar or any colleges up there? Yeah, they're on the radar for sure. You know, I hope to make it to Michigan later this year and, and uh, maybe Michigan State at some point. I know a few people that have went to school at Michigan State. I know a few as well. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, are, and uh, maybe and probably a couple that are still there. So, um, yeah, I'd love to make it to both of them. I've actually never been to Michigan State before. Obviously, I've been to Michigan quite a few times, yeah. but it uh, be cool to see both. And she was telling me earlier that you actually picked the Spartans to win the whole thing in your bracket, like from the start. Yeah, so I, I made my bracket, obviously, what, it's been two weeks, three weeks yeah. now. Um, and, yeah, I, I picked them to go all the way. I, I picked Michigan uh, to go to, I think, the Elite Eight, and they didn't. See, I picked Michigan to go to my Final Four because I went with my head, not my heart. Yeah. Because last year I picked them to go to the title game, and I won, like, over $2,000. Right. And I picked Duke to beat MSU. Clearly, I need to do one head bracket and one heart bracket from yeah. now on. Yeah, you had it from the start. Yeah, I don't. I actually, I was the only one in both my groups to pick. I got Michigan State winning it all, so I was the yeah, only right, one. To, yeah, do. yeah, let's yeah. go. So if they win it, and uh, I'll, I'll win both groups. So hopefully, hopefully they win it. By the time this airs, we'll know whether or not they're even in the championship game or won it. But we'll be rooting for the Spartans for That's sure. Right. So I was on your website. I saw this quote. I actually thought this was really cool. It says, "Quote: I'm kind of a reserved guy." I'm really not loud or in your face. That's not me. Until I get behind the wheel of a race car, then I'm in your face, then in your mirror, then out front. First of all, that's a badass quote. Did you did you actually say that? Yeah, it was. Uh, 
as a combination of things I said more so probably <laughs> okay, put into yeah. one quote. But yeah, it was it was all, all it was all put together. Yeah. Have you always been that way? That mentality of kind of a chill guy when you're not in the race car, like when you're talking to me right now. But once that visor goes down and that helmet's on, it's all business. Yeah, I think really my whole career in racing, I've been like that even before, obviously being at the NASCAR level. But um, you know, growing up, my dad was always a big proponent of not going to the racetrack to make friends. He, you know, he's like. We bring our friends with us, and, and um, you know you're not here to make any long way. So it's work. Yeah, I've I've carried that same mentality. I'm you know I've got some 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 guys in the garage that I'll say hi to and hang out with sometimes, but you know for the most part I'm not here to really make buddies away from the racetrack. I've got good friends, and and uh, we're here to do business and, and here to go to work. So even though that was a serious question, ended with talking about business. Let's talk about something fun. Your nicknames. So Ken Squire obviously gave you the nickname That Jones Boy, but you also go by EJ a couple times. Which one do you prefer? Do you care? What, what's the deal with that? Um, you know, either one's fine with me, really. I I didn't really have anyone call me EJ until uh, really, really until I started getting a NASCAR, people started calling me that. Uh, that Jones Boy was uh, was funny. I enjoy that <laughs> yeah. one. That one's fine with me. It was kind of cool that Ken Squire gave me that one. Obviously, a really important figure in the yeah. history of NASCAR. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind either one. That Jones Boy one always makes me uh, makes me laugh and think of a, a good time for sure. When did you like find out that that became a thing? It kind of became like a low key meme on the internet because you were you were in the race. So yeah. when did you find out? Did you find out like right when he climbed out of the car? Like why is that? Why do I have ten thousand notifications on Twitter? <laughs> why are people calling me that Jones Boy? Well, I I was riding home with a couple of friends from Darlington, and we obviously drive to Darlington. It's not too far, and um, my buddies got in the car with me, and I I didn't want to drive home, so I was letting my buddy drive and. He said something about that Jones boy or, or called me that, and I was like, what, what do you mean? This is probably a good 30, 45 minutes into our drive home. And I'm like, I really don't know what you're talking about. So they kind of explained it to me. Then I went on and, and looked it all up and, and got, the, got the whole gist of it. So it was, it, was a, it was a good subject for the rest of the ride home, and <laughs> they, uh, they picked on me for the next couple of days. But it was, it was cool. Ken, whatever Ken Squire calls you a nickname and it sticks, I think that's what you have to go by for yeah, the rest you gotta, of your Yeah, you got to stay with that one. I could listen to him read the phone book. He's, he's that good. So I'm a big SpongeBob guy. I'm a little kid at heart. Yep. Did you watch all when you were growing up? Oh, yeah, for sure when I was growing up. I uh, I watched SpongeBob a lot. Um, I'm trying to think what else. What yeah, else was what other TV? shows did you watch? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, were you a like, Nick guy or Cartoon Network, Disney Channel? I think we watched more Cartoon Network growing up. Okay. Like, the what, what was the Rugrats on? We watched Rugrats that. Rugrats is Nick. Nick. So we watched that. I think we kind of mixed it up. We were a little bit all of them. That was a random question, but I asked because your first race was a SpongeBob SquarePants 400. It was in Kansas. That's, That's right. sweet. Yeah. That's a great first race, if you ask me. Yeah, I forgot about that. It was, uh, now that I think about it, though, I remember we had a couple SpongeBob sponsors' cars in the, in the truck in the cup race, so I, I remember that well. What do you remember about your first cup race weekend in general? Was it kind of, were you a fish out of water at that point? Because obviously you'd had experience in a bunch of different divisions from the local level trucks xfinity leading up to cup but cup is a completely different animal as you now know it was you know i um i wasn't really sure going into it what to expect i was i was 18 and i'd won um some truck races i think i've only won one xfinity race at that point maybe i'd only started a handful i know that maybe 10 15 races yeah. um so it's kind of a fire you know trial by fire deal but uh it was fun i i didn't really have any expectations going in the package at that time was very similar to the Xfinity cars, so that really helped me out, mm -hmm. and I was able to take a lot of things I knew on that side over. But uh, it was just a cool weekend. I was really kind of, uh, you know, not expecting to run it, so it was just laid back, and there was no expectations. So 
it was uh, it was a fun weekend for that you were, reason. Were you in the 18 that weekend? Yeah, I ended up filling in. Because uh, that, that was on Kyle was hurt, right? Yeah, the last race before he came back there. Yeah, that now was before it's the All-Star. Yeah. yeah, yep. So let's go back to even further back, Snowball Derby in 2012. That's kind of how people got introduced to you, so to speak. So you win the Snowball Derby. You're dueling with Kyle Busch. He kind of discovered you there, and it all began from there. A after that, Kyle, you guys stayed in contact. You end up getting a truck ride with him, and then it all just kind of blossomed from there, didn't it? Yeah, I was... Um a, a, a turning point for me in, in my racing career. How old were you in 2012? I was 16. I, wow. Uh, yeah, I was going I was going to turn 17 the next uh -huh. year in May. And, and uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of opportunities I never really thought I'd have. You know, I didn't think I was going to be able to get with a, a top team in the truck series. And, and uh, you know, immediately when we got in, KBM was right on the cusp of really having some good equipment and, and really getting their stuff to, to form where it needed to be. And we were able to go and capitalize and, and win a race that year and, and then, uh, you know, get some more opportunities after that. I just talked to Chase Briscoe about dogs. I know you love your dog. Is his name Oscar? Do I have that right? All right. Glad I got that right. You, do you take him to every race with you pretty much? Yeah, he's uh, he, he doesn't miss much. You know, sometimes he, he doesn't go out west. Uh, it's a long day of travel for him. Oh, but yeah. He goes to most all of them. Yeah, he's here again this weekend. And uh, Richmond, then he'll go home. I'm going to Michigan for Easter, so he'll go with me there. So he's, uh, he's kind of all over the place. He's a good boy. Yeah, he's been a good dog. Good. Um, so you did, you've done some broadcasting recently. Unfortunately for you, I don't think that the lasting impression of you in the broadcast booth was about the broadcast itself. Yeah. I think you got a bad rap, okay? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm 22. I have a receding hairline myself, okay? You don't have a receding hairline, but people were just giving you a ton of crap because of your hair. Yeah. But you had fun with it on Twitter afterwards. You weren't you weren't worried about it, were you? No, I didn't really mind. It, uh, it doesn't bother me. Most people yeah. like to have something to pick on, but... Uh, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, the broadcasting isn't something I don't think I'd want to do all the time. Mm -hmm. At least not at this point in my my career, or my life. But uh, you don't got to worry you know, about that yet. Yeah, maybe maybe someday, but I don't know. If I can see myself doing it all the time. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I think you're an underrated Twitter follow as well. When the truck race at Daytona was going on, I was standing on pit road just waiting for the damn thing to end. Yeah. Refreshing Twitter and seeing your play by play. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I mean. Do you like social media in that respect? Because it has good sides and bad sides, right? Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways. You know, it's really easy to it's really easy to make a good play on things and have fun with it, but it's also really easy to use it in a negative way and, and not be a, uh, a positive influence on, on anybody. So, right. um, you know, I think when you get in those situations, you can really use it as something fun and something unique and, and have a good time with it. And I don't know, it was just the right moment. I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends at a beach house that they had rented in Daytona, and we were just – watching the race and we were just you laughing. guys were all thinking what everybody was thinking yeah we were just dying laughing watching a lot of the <laughs> stuff go on and i'm like Clay greenfield going through the infield with his hood up on his roof yeah there was cheese. just so many things happening that were really really getting us rolling and, and i had to uh <laughs> i had to express that to everybody I yeah guess. absolutely uh so you launched a fan club this off season is that right that's right how's that going it's been good we sold out um all but maybe a couple of the fan club kits which has been great we had some neat stuff in there uh, for people to buy and, and when they become a member and then some neat stuff here going forward that they're going to be a be a part of so it's um it wasn't really my brainchild it was a a person who kind of helps me out but um you know it's been cool to kind of have something like that for people to show their support the real diehard fans so we're here at bristol you have a really good track record here you don't have a win here in cup yet um i forgive me for not knowing do you have a win here in xfinity or trucks uh not in trucks i think we won I think we won two or two or three, two here in Xfinity. Yeah, yeah, because I know you've had a ton of success here, and uh, I'm just curious. Like, is it is it different the way you approach a Cup race at Bristol 
500 laps around these high banks. And especially this weekend with this new aero package, I mean, the load that you are going to be bearing physically is insane. So do you approach that differently in the week leading up in terms of how you train, how you eat, how you sleep, whatever, fluids? Yeah, you have to. I mean, you know, an Xfinity or a truck race, um, not to take anything away from them, but they're not very physically challenging. They're, they're a sprint not, compared to these. They're just Yeah, they're just not long enough. But, um, you know, the cup race is anywhere – Really, anywhere we go, the races are long enough that they're a pretty big physical challenge, and especially with this aero package, and especially here, it's probably going to be the, one of the more physical races of the year. So, I mean, the preparation for me started really probably two days ago with hydration and making sure that you know, you're getting the right nutrients in your body. It just it doesn't hurt to prepare. You know, yeah. you may at the end of the day you may think, well, I really overdid it, but what you know, what's the downside to that? So you'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's going to be tough, but it'll be fun. All right, wrapping up here with Eric Jones, driving the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. Speaking of JGR, came out yesterday that you guys are working towards a contract extension. I know you obviously can't say too much, but from what you can talk about, I know you obviously want to be with this team and this organization long term, and that's what you guys are working towards. Yeah, you know, I built a good relationship with everybody at JGR, and I think we've done good with the 20 team in the last year and a half of really getting it to where we wanted to be me and Chris kind of making it our own deal and who we want to have involved on, on the team side and the pit crew side and it's really been a good improvement throughout the way so I'm happy with where we're at I'm happy obviously being with, with Joe Gibbs Racing and I've had a long a pretty for my age a long-standing relationship Absolutely, with yeah. him so um, you know I hope to continue that and I, I feel like we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction to have something out soon. Last question for me this season realistic expectations I think it's safe to say for a team like you and a driver like you making the playoffs is not enough advancing one round might not even be enough so let's hear from you what are realistic expectations what are you going to walk away from this season saying okay i'm glad of what we accomplished this was a success yeah i, I mean for us it, it, it is that i mean making the playoffs if we miss the playoffs it definitely shouldn't be something we should be doing you know we uh we should easily make the playoffs and and uh, advance i'd love to advance to the round of eight i mean that's that's our ultimate goal and at least have that shot to go to homestead you know that's what that's what everybody wants you can make that round of eight you never know what's going to happen. You could, I mean, you saw it last year with the 22, going into Martinsville, getting homestead, and making it all come together and happen. So um, you don't know how it's all going to play out with this format. And I think for us, winning a few races this year is, is not too far out there at all. We're, we're really close, I feel like, to kind of busting a few off. So um, hopefully we start it here this weekend and uh, can continue that trend for the rest of the year. Eric Jones, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with that Jones boy. Eric Jones, really cool dude. I enjoyed talking with him. Uh, <laughs> I had to ask him a question about the hair on Fox and obviously a lot of Michigan State stuff. But we got into we got into some the weeds on some other stuff. So I enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Let's look ahead to Richmond Raceway this upcoming weekend. The Toyota Owners 400 on Saturday night. Green flag set to fly a little past 7:30 p.m. Eastern time. Fox Sports One is where you can find that event. Kyle Busch is the defending winner, to no one's surprise. This race 400 miles, or 400 laps, I should say, excuse me, because the track is three quarters of a mile. So 400 miles, laps, God, I wrote it wrong in my thing. 400 laps around Richmond. God, I, I just can't read today. And the Toyota Care 250, the Xfinity Series event, that's going to be Friday night as well. Some interesting names entered in this one. You got Colin Garrett, Mason Diaz, and Dylan Bassett are all racing and it's like the K&M Pro Series is taking over. Colin and Mason are regulars in the East, and Dylan has been a regular in the East for, uh, I don't know, three, four, five 
past years, along with his brother, Ronnie Bassett Jr. Uh, but they kind of are focusing their efforts more on the Xfinity Series this year. So good to, good for them. It'll be good to see them. Elliot Sadler is also going to be making his season debut for college racing in the number 10. That'll be fun to see at one of his home tracks. Tyler Matthews is making his debut for uh, JD Motorsports. He was a 2016 North Carolina uh, Wheel and All-American Series champion, and he has a handful of truck starts as well, dating back to last year. I will be at Richmond this weekend, back-to-back weekends for the National Series, covering those. Final practice for the Xfinity Series is at 8.05 a.m. on Friday. Whew, I might not make it because I got to drive from my home, which is about two hours and change or so away from the racetrack. But thanks, NASCAR. That's a hell of a scheduling job. Sheesh. Um, so some storylines to look at going in. Penske Power. They will be there. They will probably be the odds-on favorite. It's kind of weird. Like Ryan Blaney's the odd man out at the moment because he's the only Penske driver that doesn't have a win right now. Um, Kyle Busch is going to be one of the odds-on favorites as well to win. Maybe R- Martin Truex Jr. I was literally about to call him Ryan. Wow. And speaking of Martin Truex Jr., please go and watch the interview that I did with him for NBC Sports Washington. We had a lot of fun. You can check that out on my YouTube page. I linked it in my Twitter, on my Facebook. Um, he sat down with me for 20 minutes and NBC Sports Washington in the studios. He could not have been more gracious with his time. He was there promoting the upcoming Richmond race, so it's perfect timing now. Um, I had a great time chopping it up with him. We talked about a ton of stuff. We talked about the championship season in 2017, his longtime girlfriend, Sherry Poggs' battle with ovarian cancer, the Arrow package, the 2020 schedule, being an Eagles fan, but also being best friends with Dale Jr., who loves the Redskins, his trip to D.C., the whole nine yards. So, it was great. Please please go ahead and watch that. Give me your feedback. Some other storylines. Can Kevin Harvick rebound from his slow start to the year? Uh, is Matt Benedetto going to be able to carry some of the momentum that he had at Bristol into another short track in Richmond? Can Ryan Newman come out of the darkness and maybe steal a victory? I doubt it, but you never know. Eric Jones, can he get into victory lane and try to root himself It's going to be a very exciting weekend, as always, at Richmond Raceway. I will be there providing coverage for you on and over at Front Stretch as well. Anything you guys want me to do, like video-wise, audio-wise, written-wise, social coverage-wise, literally let me know. Like, I'm for the people. I'm by the people. I'll do whatever y'all want me to do. I, I. Elijah kind of cued the music for Lug Nuts of the Week last week. kind of strange, so I'll bring it back for the one time. Lug Nuts of the Week! Cue the music. Always got to bring it. Christopher Bell brought it. He won the Dash for Cash and the $100,000 by winning the Alsco 300 this past weekend. Winner, winner, chicken dinner for C. Bell, and he's back on track in victory lane. I mean, the last 25 are really probably some of the calmest laps I had out there, uh, except I was pretty loose, so... Um, but the longer that we ran, my car just kept getting better and better and better. And I don't know, uh, I, that was kind of the motto of our weekend. We, we never really fired off super fast, but, uh, over the long run, we were really, really good. And especially when the top came in, that thing was rolling around there really nice. Tyler Reddick comes home in second place in his Dolly Parton wig and all. And Cole Custer comes home in third place, caught up with him on pit road after the race. He was talking about Tyler Reddick being like a kidney stone, a.k.a. Ryan Newman. Just could not get by him. Oh, yeah, we just didn't have the best fire-off speed like everybody else and didn't have the restarts. We had to fix that damage. So once we got into a run, we were always coming from behind, it seemed like. And uh, it's so hard to pass here. You have to have the perfect scenario to pass somebody just because we have so many lappers that go on the inside of the racetrack. So 
I don't know. I'm just extremely frustrated. <laughs> I think we had the best car there at the end. We just couldn't couldn't get the right scenario to pass the two. Harrison Burton scores a top 10 in his Xfinity Series debut. Very solid day overall for the 18. How do you think your Xfinity debut went? Uh, you know, it was up and down for sure. We had a uh, we had a really good start, and we're running I think fourth or something at the end of stage one, and then uh, got way too tight in the second stage and um, blew right front, got into the fence, and then kind of made a rally back to uh, I think tenth is where we finished. So it was definitely up and down day, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was it was a crazy experience to come out and race these cars. I felt like uh, I was at home, so that was good, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it for sure. How big was the jump from the truck stuff and the Canine and all the stuff you've done to this level? Well, it was, uh, it was it was a jump, right? But it wasn't um, too crazy, honestly. I think that the truck guys are really hard to beat, and there's a lot of really good trucks every weekend. So, um, you know, I think that it, it was a it was a step of, of competitiveness and a little bit higher level, and everything had to be perfect for you to run well. But uh, but I think that the the truck and ARCA guys are definitely no slouches either. I can tell you that. Ryan Ellis is back behind the wheel for two races for BJ McLeod Motorsports. He's going to race at Iowa and Road America. He's a great dude. He's a cap fan and the number 32 public relations guy for Corey LaJoy. Nice to see him back wheeling a race car. Love Ryan. Sterling Marlin underwent a third surgery for Parkinson's disease. He was actually diagnosed back in 2012. So thoughts and prayers to the Marlin family. Hope he's doing well and recovering. Daryl Waltrip is calling it a career on the broadcasting side after Sonoma for Fox Sports. He had a huge presser at Bristol, and it, it was way too long to cut because he literally talked about one thing for like he didn't. He had one soundbite that was legit ten minutes long, so couldn't put that in here. Um, but it was honestly kind of special. It, it was a very special moment to kind of walk in, see all the people there, see the emotion on DW's face, and how he's kind of at peace with the whole situation after all the Jenna Fryer's column, uh, which I support, by the way. She was on Door Bumper Clear. I want to talk to her next time I see her because that was one of the best episodes that I've heard in a while. She brought it, and she continues to bring it and always has, and I really respect her for it. And some people listening might hate her. I, for one, love her because I think she brings something to the NASCAR media core and to the sport as a whole that we've been lacking for the last handful of years. So uh, the DW Presser was very interesting and very cool to be a part of, for sure. You guys remember that thing that happened at South Boston Speedway a couple weekends ago where uh, Crew Chief went onto the racetrack, was yelling at the driver inside the car, and then he got kind of thrown because the driver drove away? Well, the Crew Chief was Forrest Reynolds. He's been suspended for the year. Good, because he can't be doing that. And Lee Pulliam, the driver, he was fined $1.5,000 and suspended a couple weeks as well. Natalie Decker has added six more Truck Series races to her schedule. She's going to be in every race of the season, all but Eldora, Talladega, Michigan, and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. She's going to do some ARCA stuff as well. Doesn't really have any more K&M Pro Series races planned at the moment. And she also told me this weekend about the cereal thing that she does. I'll have to have her on to do a one-on-one -on -one interview to ask about the cereal because that whole thing is bizarre. Cole Pern and Chris Gavehart were both fined $10,000 for loose lug nuts after Bristol. That cash money flowing out your pockets, y'all. And last but not least, cool moment, Myatt Snyder. He's going to race full-time this year in the NASCAR Wheeling Euro Series' Elite 2 division. He's going to drive the number 48 racing engineering Ford Mustang along with three-time champion Ander Villarino. He's going to be among 14 drivers competing for the Rookie of the Year honors out in Europe. I think that's really cool. 
uh, he's going to enjoy that for sure. I've been able to develop a, a little bit of friendship with Myatt. So, sauce boy, get some sauciness out in Europe, and if it ain't Louisiana hot sauce, it goes on the ground. That'll wrap things up for episode six of Victory Lane 2.0. Glad you stuck around and tuned in. Appreciate it. We will see you next time for another great episode. I got a few driver interviews in the can. I sure hope that you will enjoy those as much as I enjoyed doing them. Hope you liked my convo with Eric Jones. If you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. We're on SoundCloud as well. We have it all here on Victory Lane. And as I always end every show, I tell you peace and love, my home brace, and I will see you at Richmond. We out.